You may open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20. This is the only place in the Bible where we have a reference to a thousand years. As it applies to the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. The rest of our county, for the most part, are pre-millennialists. Meaning that Jesus Christ will come the second time pre or before the millennium. Pre-millennial means that the thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ comes after His coming. His coming is before that millennium. That's why it's called pre-millennial. We call our position the gospel millennium because through the preaching of the gospel, we believe that for the last 2,000 years, Jesus Christ has been reigning on the throne of David and His saints have been reigning with Him. We are reigning with Him right now. We've just sung that several times. And those that have departed before us are reigning with Him, their souls and spirits being with the Lord in heaven. We are thankful for the truth on this subject. I have labored six sermons laying a foundation from the more important parts of Scripture. And those more important parts of Scripture are Paul's epistles and Peter's epistles, where he expressly declares the doctrine of the New Testament. I say it's more important in this regard. The book of Revelation is a book of signs, and it is not a book that you go to to establish doctrine. You can go to this book to confirm doctrine. You can go to this book to find glorious word pictures that God's given us of the ultimate victory of Jesus Christ. But we establish doctrine from the rest of the Bible. We do not go to prophets and take their symbols and try to establish truth. It's way too dangerous. The Bible tells us that those are signs and similitudes, and we want the express declarations of Jesus and Paul before we run and look at John and look at his words. We are not premillennialists. Again, when you hear the word premillennial, it means Jesus Christ comes before or pre the millennium. We don't believe that. We believe that when Jesus Christ comes the second time, which could come at just about any time, it is going to wrap up the affairs of this earth and all prophecy. There's going to be the final judgment and we will be given a new heaven and a new earth. We are not looking for some seven-year tribulation that they have fabricated, nor a 1,000-year breakdown of all the divisions at the local zoo where lions and lambs can feed together. We don't believe that. We look at the Bible and we understand from Isaiah chapter 11 where that prophecy is made that it's talking about the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He has taken the war out of our hearts and caused us to love one another. Paul said that he himself had been full of hatred and hated everyone else Titus chapter 3, until the goodness of God his Savior appeared and justified him and regenerated him by the power of the Holy Ghost. We're we're at Revelation chapter 20 because I want our children and I want you to know that's where we've been aiming to see this chapter in light of what we've learned from the rest of the Bible. Let me just read a couple of verses and then we'll go back and think about how we're going to approach this chapter. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, 
which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Amen. We are living and reigning with Jesus Christ. You just had the word of God read to you that says you're living and reigning with Jesus Christ. We were dead in trespasses and sins. We are now alive by the grace of God in regeneration in Ephesians chapter 2. And we are seated together in heavenly places in Christ, vitally connected to Him and living and reigning with Him right now in a spiritual way. The spiritual is always more important than the physical. Whenever you meet someone that talks about things you can see or touch or hear, You've met someone that's carnally minded and has a very small mind. Not a mind that's been opened up by the grace of God. A mind that's been opened up by the grace of God knows that things you cannot see are more important than things you can see. Everything you can see in this room is going to be dissolved. And it's going to melt away with fervent heat. The things you cannot see in this room, an innumerable company of angels, the Spirit of the living God, is never going to dissolve or melt away. But it abides forever. You can see the earth, but it is soon going away. You cannot see heaven, I mean the heaven of heavens, and it's going to last forever. We need to understand that the more important things are the spiritual things of the Bible, not physical. You know, as we read down through this chapter, don't get too excited about the bottomless pit. Don't try to figure out how does something stay in a pit that has no bottom. To me, that's not a very safe place. You'd fall out the bottom. What about a chain? Who's going to chain the devil? Will you chain his ankles or will you chain his wrists? He doesn't have either. What are you going to chain? You can't chain a spirit. What kind of a key are you going to use? Is it going to be a good lock or a cheap lock? Think spiritually, brethren. If you don't think spiritually, the Bible's a closed book to you. The greatest aspects of the universe right now are out of sight. The United States has no radar to pick them up. The angels that God sends into this earth's atmosphere to do His bidding and to accomplish things among the nations cannot be picked up by anyone, but we know they are there by the record of the Word of God. And we believe it. And we thank God for them. They are sent to deliver us. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear Him and delivereth them. Are we premillennial? Not a chance. Not a chance can Revelation chapter 20 occur after the second coming of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of a few reasons why we don't believe that. Turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 
Remember, premillennial means Jesus has to come before the millennium. Jesus has to come before the thousand years. That's what pre means. We believe in the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ is what people say. And what they mean is Jesus comes back before the millennium or the thousand years described in Revelation chapter 20. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, which many of you read last evening, and remind ourselves about the second coming of Christ, what's associated with it. 2 Thessalonians 1 and verse 7. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power, when He shall come to be glorified in His saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Notice, the coming of Jesus Christ, the next coming of Jesus Christ that Paul was dealing with, with these Thessalonians, the coming of Jesus Christ that he had told them about in 1 Thessalonians was to be accompanied with mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on men and separating them from God forever and ever in eternal torment and destruction. And at that same time, he was going to come and be admired by his saints. There are not multiple comings yet to occur. There's one coming. This one coming involves fire and vengeance and mighty angels on his enemies, and it involves receiving his elect unto himself in the day that he's going to be admired by them. Look at the next chapter, chapter 2. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What coming? The only coming that there is left. The second coming. The same one of chapter 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto Him. Notice it's all connected. When Jesus Christ returns and we go up to meet the Lord in the air and the dead in Christ rise ahead of us if we're, if we're still alive, that event is also going to include mighty angels and flaming fire coming to destroy the wicked, which we're going to read about at the end of Revelation chapter 20. Because Revelation chapter 20 ends with the second coming. This is Paul. Paul's not using sign language. Paul's telling us exactly what is going to come next and what rest and comfort the people of God ought to have in this coming. There's nothing here about a rapture in that he's going to take the believers out of the world and leave the rest. Everything here says he's going to take the believers out of the world and burn up the rest. And there's not going to be a delay of 1,007 years. Paul never mentioned, not hinted, and he didn't even allow for seven or a thousand or 1,007 combined to occur after the second coming of our Lord. And he goes on to say in verse 2, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Don't be alarmed and think that it's about to happen at any time. Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come. The coming of Jesus Christ. That day shall not come. Except there come a falling away first, 
and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. And then it goes on to describe the man of sin sitting in the temple of God, claiming to be God, and how is he destroyed? Verse 8, And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. The brightness of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to gather together believers, and it's going to destroy the man of sin and the wicked. He's going to bring vengeance on all them that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, it didn't say he's going to bring vengeance on all them who didn't make a decision for Jesus. It says he's going to bring vengeance on all them that obey not the gospel. There's many people that have made a decision for Jesus, but they never obey the gospel. They went forward for one moment in time when they were emotionally moved to do so, but then they do not live up to it. Those are false professors, and the world is full of them. The true marks of a child of God is someone who obeys his Father, who loves the truth, who loves Jesus Christ, and who lives a committed life to Him. And those that do not do so, that are false professors, and are actually children of the devil, the Lord's going to come and destroy them. What we want from Second Thessalonians 1 is that there is one coming, and that one coming is going to destroy the wicked, and it's going to gather together the remaining believers that are on earth. That's what we just read. And before that can happen, the Antichrist has to be in place. Before that can happen, there must be a great falling away, and both of those things have occurred, so the Lord could come just about at any time. There is nothing left in the Bible that's weighty, that's waiting, that we have to wait for before the Lord can return. If I can leave one thought with you today, and it is not for us to slice and dice Gog and Magog, I'll deal with Gog and Magog when we get to it. That's about the least important thing in the entire chapter. The most important thing in the chapter that we can walk away with today If this chapter is only half true, I am going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ on a throne that is so terrible and His face so terrible that the heavens and the earth are going to flee away from it. Is my name in the book of life or not? That is the most important thing you can take from Revelation 20. To let the devil distract you into worrying about what does a bottomless pit look like and how big is the chain that binds the devil, you have missed the point. The point is, have you been involved in the first resurrection yet? And have you been delivered from the second death? Ever since I was a little bitty boy, and I happened into Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15 because of my loving parents, I've been terrified outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because that last verse says, And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. The most important matter that you can take out of Revelation 20 is my name in the book of life. Let's let's boil away all all the distractions and get down to what counts. Is my name in the book of life? We're not premillennialists. Jesus Christ is going to come after He reigns. After the saints reign. After there's an Antichrist. After there's a great falling away. And when He comes, He's going to bring judgment upon the wicked. At the same time, He gathers His saints together. There's one event yet coming, and it's the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
That's 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. It's plain enough. Paul's very plain to wrap up everything in this one passage. There's no multiple comings after a millennium of any scheme. I mean, before a millennium of any scheme. He comes after. Listen, after Jesus Christ comes, there aren't going to be any wicked nations on earth to be gathered together to come up around the camp of the saints because He's going to burn them all up in chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Who in the world is the devil going to gather together? He's gathering them together right now. The camp of the saints, by the way, isn't a Boy Scout troop out in the woods in tents. When you read the word camp, quit thinking about camping. When you read camp, look at the rest of the verse and see the word city, the beloved city, and it ain't Jerusalem. Do you know what Jesus calls Jerusalem in the book of Revelation? Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know what the beloved city is? It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. Think spiritually, brethren. All of you want to think about a city that's got a mayor, right? And you vote for city council and you pay city taxes. And if you park too long at a meter, the meter maid's going to get you. That's ridiculous thinking. Think about spiritual things. A city in the New Testament is the bride and uh, is the bride and church of Jesus Christ. Please make it easy for me to get through this chapter without you thinking about chains and meter maids. Blows my mind. You know, you get a Schofieldite and sit down with him, and he wants to take every word here and try to give it some literal meaning. He's got chains and he's talking about tanks and wars. And the devil's going to get the, the, the red Chinese. That's what they used to be called when I was a boy. Now they're the Chinese communists. Now they don't even want to be called communists much anymore. He's going to get all the Chinese, and they're going to surround the city of Jerusalem in the Middle East, and there's going to be a war. The devil wouldn't waste his time on a war with tanks. Right. He's going to spend his time on a war with purpose-driven drivel. Amen. That's the war. It's a spiritual conflict. Lord, help us. Please, brethren, get excited about having the scales taken off your eyes. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. I'm so tired of those comic book writers and the Left Behind series. There ain't going to be anybody left behind. Oh, no! If you're left behind, you're going to be a burnt marshmallow. And I don't mean that frivolously. It's a terrible day that's coming. And no matter what you read or where you go or what school you go to, no one wants to talk about it. The greatest event... This earth is going to be transformed, brethren. It's going to be burned up with vengeance by the Lord Jesus Christ. Yet they want to talk about a comet, you know, that's going to pass within 17 billion miles of earth that we might get singed by it. You know, you're not even going to know when it passes unless you're reading the newspaper. They've got to keep making up something sensational every day of our lives to keep us from thinking about the real things of life. That is the devil behind all newspaper editors, all magazine editors, all newscasts. It's the devil to keep you distracted about the ridiculously small matters of life so that you don't think about the big matters. And the biggest matter is Jesus Christ is coming with His mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on this world. He's been waiting for 2,000 years to do it. His long-suffering is holding Him back. He's angry. His wrath is mounting. And He is going to tread the winepress of the, of the wrath of the fierceness of Almighty God. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What is this chapter about? 
You know, there are certain chapters in the Bible that are only about one thing. The resurrection of the body. 1 Corinthians 15. All 58 verses are about one thing. The resurrection of the body. Let's take up in verse 22. For as in Adam, all die. Even so in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the bodily resurrection. But every man in his own order. Christ, the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ at His coming. So there's a resurrection of the bodies at the coming of Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That's what it says. There's going to be a resurrection of our bodies at the coming of Jesus Christ. Verse 24. Then cometh the beginning of the tribulation. And then after the tribulation cometh the beginning of the millennium. Is that what it says in your Bible? See, I love Paul. I want you to love Paul. Paul said, be ye followers of me, even as I follow Jesus Christ. Then cometh the end. What what do those words mean? Then cometh almost the end, but we still got a thousand and seven years to run? No. Jesus Christ coming and the resurrection of the saints. Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. When He comes for His saints and resurrects the dead in Christ, then His mighty angels in flaming fire are going to burn up all other power and authority and reign. He's going to put it down and destroy it. For He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. He's working on it right now. He's dashing the nations in pieces and He's soon coming to burn them up. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Now wait a minute. Wait a minute. No, Paul, no. You forgot Tim LaHaye and Hal Lindsey. You forgot, Paul. The last enemy isn't death. The last enemy's Gog and Magog. A thousand and seven years after you get rid of death. The last enemy is death. And how is death destroyed? By the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of the dead occurs when Jesus Christ comes the second time. Because that is the end. You know, how much more of the book do you want to read when you find the words, the end? Do you go get more popcorn when you see the end of a movie? It's the end. If you wonder why this has taken so long, it's because some of you have been taught a different scheme. And I feel like I'm in quicksand trying to help all of you get out of that mess and morass you were taught in the past. That there is all this stuff yet to come after Jesus Christ returns. Oh, that's not what the Bible teaches. They've made all that up because it's a Jewish fable because they have got to squeeze in the return of the Jews to preeminence in the earth. Because that's been taught for 2,000 years. It was believed by the Jews in Jesus' day. Paul warned Titus against Jewish fables and it's still going on today. Do you know why there's a little country over in the Middle East called Israel? There's only one reason. Because U.S. taxpayers have been taught the Schofield system of Bible prophecy and they have caused our government through Jerry Falwell and other influences to support that nation over there with military goods. That little nation couldn't defend itself against those Arab nations if it had to, if it didn't have technology that was about 50 years ahead of their enemies. Right. 
It's incredible what a wrong view of Bible prophecy can do to your thinking. To think that those are the people of God. The people of God are the believers in Jesus Christ made up of Jews and Gentiles. They are the true Israel of God. 1 Corinthians 15, 23. We got down to verse 27. The la- verse 26 said, The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. And when is that destroyed? It's destroyed at the resurrection of the dead. For he that hath put all things under his for he hath put all things under his feet. For he hath put all things under his feet? That sounds like he's got all the authority that he could possibly have. Do you know what the whole our whole county? And most of the religious world today says Jesus does not yet have the throne of David with all the authority that God promised the kingdom of God. But this says he hath put all things under his feet. Not that he will do it. He hath done it. And Paul's writing this in 60 A.D. about 1946 years ago. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted. That's God. The only, see, the, see, Paul wants you to know there's no exceptions. Why is he taking the time to say that? It is understood that He is accepted that put all things under His feet. And who is that? God Himself is the only exception to what is not under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. The devil is already there. He just hasn't been finally had his sentence executed against him. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. Verse 24 tells us exactly what we're heading toward. Then cometh the end when Jesus Christ will deliver up the kingdom to God. God, my Father, here is the kingdom that you have given me. I have vanquished all my enemies, and here are the children that thou hast given me. He will deliver up that kingdom to God. God will be all in all and Jesus Christ will be our Savior and we will dwell in a new heaven and a new earth forever. And that is the order, brethren. And there's no seven and there's no one thousand. That is the end. We are not premillennial. Come to Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Oh, if there was a man, if there was a man that wanted a Jewish millennium, it would have been Peter. It would have been Peter. When the angry mob came to get the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, who pulled out a sword to go to battle to have an earthly kingdom? Peter did. Peter pulled out a sword. So let's read about Peter as he tells us about the millennium. In 2 Peter chapter 3, we're going to have this read to us in the second service by one of our good brothers. He is speaking of the coming of Christ. He says, here's what scoffers are saying about the coming in verse 4. These scoffers say, where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. (laughs) They're they're forgetting one little event that took place in 1656 after creation, and that was the flood. They're forgetting one little event called the flood. And so Peter goes on and reminds them of the flood And then he goes back to the coming of the Lord. He says in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens will get all excited as the believers are raptured out of this earth's atmosphere and taken home to be with Jesus. in. No, it doesn't say that. 
Here's what it says. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for. This is a day we are to be looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a millennial kingdom where we Jews can be preeminent once again. No. See, it's not, he's not a premillennial either. This is terrible. Paul wasn't a premillennialist. Peter's not a premillennialist. What in the world are we going to do? <laughs> Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. If you were to read all of Second Peter chapter 3, Peter is telling the people that he's writing that they ought to give all diligence to their lives, that they hold fast their steadfast faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, And that they live holy and righteous lives because the next event is going to be God's judgment on this earth when he burns everything up and everything's going to melt with fervent heat. There's not a word about the tribulation. There's not a word about the millennium. We're going to be in a new heaven and a new earth with Jesus Christ. Peter didn't know anything about what Schofield, Darby, Lindsay, LaHaye, and the rest are teaching. Never heard of it. Never knew about it. Doesn't have a word about it. There isn't a word about it. And then they go into a symbolic chapter in Revelation and try to create something totally contrary to what the rest of the New Testament teaches. That is not how we approach the Bible. We go into Revelation chapter 20, and I hope I can show you rather plainly that it fits what Paul, Jesus, and Peter said. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There's no future kingdom offered, described, or taught by Paul any place in the New Testament. The next event that we're supposed to be looking for and that we're to comfort each other with is the second coming of Jesus Christ. And that same coming of Jesus Christ is to warn us and cause fear in our lives that we be found of Him spotless and without blame at His coming. There is nothing about a tribulation. There is nothing about a millennium. There is the second coming and that is it. And judgment. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. I'm not going to read them. These are the verses that say, For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. You know these verses. They're going to be read to you later. That's verse 16 of chapter 4. I just want you to come down to chapter 5 and see Paul keeps right on writing to these Thessalonian Christians. Don't you let those chapter divisions throw you off course. Those chapter divisions are to help you find things in your Bible. When Paul wrote, he didn't write five chapters to the Thessalonians. He wrote a letter to the Thessalonians. I believe in God's providence. He gave us these so that we can have greater tools to find verses faster than anyone else has ever been able to find them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Do you think he might still be talking about the great event of chapter 4? For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden rapture comes upon all the believers around them, and some of them will be in train wrecks where the engineer was a believer. Does it say that? Now you think I'm being a little too sarcastic this morning? I'm not being sarcastic. I'm trying to help you understand how the Bible is misread, misapplied, and mistaught. 
And if Elijah can get up and make fun of the prophets of Baal, then I'm going to take leave to make fun a little bit of Schofield and his cronies. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. It's going to be like a thief breaking into your house at night and stealing your stuff. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back in total surprise and burn up this world and judge all the wicked in flaming fire and vengeance. That occurs at His second coming and we are to be on guard against it lest we be caught with those wicked people by living wicked lives like them. I don't need to say any more. If you go on reading down to verse 11, it just keeps saying the same thing. Don't let that day catch you unawares. Wicked people walk in darkness, but we are to walk as the children of light and to have lives filled with light. We're not premillennialists. There's only one event coming. There's one resurrection of the dead. There's not two. There's not three. There's not four. There's not five. There's one. Both the righteous and the wicked will be raised from the dead and we will all stand before the Lord Jesus Christ to receive the sentencing for our lives. That happens in every court in the United States of America. You first of all get charged with a crime. And then there is a delay, and then you have that sentence passed upon you, and it is then executed. That happens with a traffic ticket. You get the traffic ticket when you're doing 79 in a 55. The officer comes up to you and writes out a piece of paper and says, you are guilty of 24 miles an hour over the speed limit. You have committed a crime. And for 30 days or 60 days or 45 days, however long it takes, you live in the grief and the confines of your own conscience knowing that you're going to have to pay. And you show up at court and they determine how much you're going to pay and it's executed against you right there. And if you don't want to fork it over, you've got bigger problems. If someone commits capital murder in our country, they're charged with that crime. And then the jury is brought in again later. It could be a day later, an hour later, a month later, a year later. What should happen to this man who's already been convicted of murder? The electric chair. Everyone's going to be raised from the dead to meet the Lord Jesus Christ and have a sentence pronounced against them that it's heaven or hell forever. Cain's going to already have been in hell for 6,000 years, but he's going to be brought forth from the grave and body and soul and spirit united and then sent body, soul, and spirit into hell forever and ever. It is called the lake of fire. It is the second death. That is what is coming next. And we are supposed to guard ourselves against that day. If there's one thing you should walk out of here with today, it is fear of that coming day and the terror of the Lord and to give yourselves to live a righteous life in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ because you're going to have to stand before Him and give an account for your life. Every one of you that take tests in school, when you get to the test and the teacher says, turn it over, get started. You turn that test over and you look at it and you see questions that are beyond anything you've ever read about. You're overwhelmed. You're confused. You're scared. You have a mental block. And you say to yourself, if only, if only I, I hadn't watched the World Cup. Oh, if only I hadn't slept in an extra two hours every morning for the last three weeks. Oh, if only I hadn't gone and played this game. I played golf. If only I hadn't done this or if I only hadn't done that. I'd be ready to take this test. Now I'm in trouble. Now I'm going to get a C. Now I'm going to have to go home and show mom and dad that I'm a C student. 
All of that happens because you didn't plan for the event that was coming. And do you know what? You get more concerned about those stupid tests than you do what I'm telling you about right now. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to split this atmosphere open and He is going to appear with His mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on everyone that doesn't obey Him. It is the greatest event coming and no one says a word about it. And this is why we have a church. This is why we are together today. To be reminded that this event is coming and to prepare for it before it's too late. I'm 50. I wish I was five. I've squandered years. I've squandered months. I don't want to waste any time because I'm going to have to give an account for every second of it. Everything that's popped out of this mouth, I'm going to have to give an account for it. Thankfully, the Lord's going to be there for me. He's going to say, Father, I never sinned with my lips. I never disobeyed my parents. I always did what was right. I never looked at another woman. And I want all that righteousness put on Jonathan Crosby. Check the book of life. Michael, check the book of life. Oh, praise the Lord. There's no new names written down in heaven, but there's an old name written down in heaven. And yes, I will take some words from that song. It is mine. How do you know you're in the book of life? Oh, we'll get to that before we get out of this day. And we're going to come to the Lord's table, and you're going to be excited that the book of life is called the Lamb's Book of Life because He shed His precious blood to cover everyone that's in that book because we're going to stand before the God of Heaven and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be full of fury and vengeance against all of His enemies and we do not want to meet that wrath without the blood of the Lamb. Every day of our lives should be making our calling and election sure. We haven't even got to Revelation chapter 20 yet. I read a few verses and then reminded you from several passages of Scripture how we have to come into Revelation 20. I've just given you a foundation so that when you get to it, you are not led astray by a thousand years or any other symbol in that chapter. It is amazing to me how they will, when pressed, admit that the chain is figurative, the key is figurative, the bottomless pit is figurative, Oh, but the thousand years is literal. That's not how we read it. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. It's funny when you read Revelation chapter 20. Did you ever read about lions and lambs in Revelation 20? Did you, re- did you read about a temple? Did you read about Jews? Didn't read about any of those things? Read about animal sacrifices being restored? Read about Jesus finally getting the throne of David? Nothing like that in Revelation 20. Revelation chapter 1. This is how we go into the book of Revelation. We read the first verse. If you ever went to court and you tried to press a point from the 20th chapter of a book without having read the first 19, you'd be ruled in contempt of court and thrown out. Your opinion on chapter 20 without knowing the first 19 is absurd. The very, first worth, the very first verse of this book tells us a great deal. I read in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John. 
the revelation of things that are going to come to pass was signified by his angels. Is Revelation chapter 20 something to do with an angel? Did an angel come down from heaven? Sent and signified it by his angels to his servant John. Signified. When there's something signified to you, it's not plainly stated. It's presented in sign language. It's presented in symbols. It's presented in pictures. The first verse, this is how we approach the Bible. We do not jump into it with some novel in my back pocket written by Jack Van Empey with a fawning introduction by Rexella. That's not how we study the Bible. We read Revelation 1.1. There's another point in Revelation 1.1. It says things which must shortly come to pass. It's not talking about something way out in the future because the events of Revelation began to come to pass immediately. The beast, the beast is the Roman Empire. It was already there. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. He couldn't name the Roman Empire in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 unless he wanted every church member in Thessalonica to be killed. He said, I told you when I was with you so that you understand what I'm talking about. It began to happen immediately. Things which must shortly come to pass. Paul told the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 2, don't be alarmed that that day is at hand. The second coming is way out there because it's the last event. Everything else in the book of Revelation leads up to it. We've got the last two chapters of Revelation telling us about the eternal state of the righteous with the Lord. Oh, the first verse is good. You ought to read the first verse before you dive into chapter 20. Jack? If the deception of nations is a trait of the millennium, I hope you've read Revelation 20. If the deception of nations is an issue, then we should already know the great mystery of godliness that Jesus Christ was preached to the Gentiles and believed on in the world. The apostles had already gone to the nations and preached. And I have so much material on that, I could choke you for hours. I mean that in a good way. A choking that you would enjoy. But we're not going to take the time to do that. Oh, what a fulfillment. Was Satan bound from deceiving all the nations? The apostles went everywhere and preached the gospel to the nations that had never left their totem poles for 4,000 years. He turned the world upside down, these enemies said. That wasn't him giving a testimony back at Antioch. That was his enemies saying that about him. If the saints are still on earth, Remember, is there a camp of the saints? If the saints are still on earth, then Jesus Christ hasn't come yet, has He? When we get to that verse in Revelation chapter 20. Because after Jesus Christ comes, there's no saints on earth. You say, but what about the 144,000 Jewish missionaries? Well, why don't you tell me about them so that I can learn too? There is no such thing in the Bible. You say, well, what about those 144,000, 12,000 from each tribe? That's interesting, isn't it? Does 12 from 12 disturb you a little bit? You think there was an invitation at a missionary conference for Jewish missionaries to come forward and there happened to be 12 tribes equally represented there and 12,000 came from each tribe? you really believe that? What if 13,000 came from the tribe of Judah since it was three times larger than the other tribe? Did the Lord send 1,000 back? Or do you think 12 times 12 just might be a real figurative expression about the first Jewish converts to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? They're the first fruits. 
of the gospel. And if you go read that chapter about the 144,000, then you'll read about a multitude that no man could number out of every tribe, tongue, nation on earth. And that's us Gentiles. It's a picture of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're gonna get, you really get excited about those 12 times 12, huh? How about the 12 apostles? Would you give me their names, please? It says that there are 12 stones in the city of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they represent the 12 apostles. Name them for me. Does it include Judas? Does it include Matthias? If it includes Matthias, then where's our beloved brother Paul? If it includes Paul, where's Matthias? If it includes them both, you ain't got 12. It's figurative language. Are you all with me? It's wonderful to read the book of Revelation. Get the symbolic picture of spiritual victory of the Lord Jesus Christ over His enemies. That's what the book is for. It's to encourage all those martyrs. Do you know why we have martyrs mentioned in verse 4? It's to encourage them not to be discouraged that God's going to deliver them and Christ is reigning and He will come in flaming fire on their enemies. If Satan being bound is part of Revelation chapter 20, for those of you that have read it, if Satan being bound is part of that, is a pretty big part of Revelation 20, in fact, it's the biggest part, when was Satan bound? The Lord doesn't leave us in darkness. Now, Jesus taught us all about the binding of Satan during his earthly ministry because Satan was bound when Jesus Christ came the first time. And when he comes a second time, he's going to take that old devil, the serpent, and cast him into the lake of fire and burn him up forever and ever. And that is the second death for him. He's already bound. Not bound from bothering us. Not bound from throwing fiery darts at us. Not bound from trying to devour us. The chapter tells us exactly how he's bound. From deceiving the nations in the way that he deceived them before the coming of Christ when the Gentiles all lived in great darkness. But a light arose on the Gentiles through the preaching of Jesus Christ and the apostles. Because he was bound from that. You know, our ancestors, they had terrible religion. I don't care what country on earth you're from. Let's pick some of the darker countries. England and Scotland. You know, they were devil worshippers. Go read about the Druids. Go read about their mistletoe. Go read about Stonehenge. Go read about the rest of that idolatry on that island nation. Thanks be to God, the Gospel came burst onto the scene with great light and shown where it had never shown before because the devil had been bound from keeping all of us in our darkness. Revelation chapter 20. Let's get started and then quit. Revelation chapter 20, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. This is obviously figurative language about spiritual power restricting the devil. Heavenly authority from God Himself and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Angels don't do anything on their own. Some angel didn't decide that it's the time I want to get, I want to have a fight with the devil. The Bible says they speak very reverently about the devil. They say the Lord rebuked thee because they know he had great position and authority that God had given him. This is God sending heavenly authority down to bind the devil. Brethren, I don't need to spend time on keys and chains and pits, do I? The bottomless pits, you all want to know what it is. It's a picture. It's not a real place. It's just the devil being bound from some of his activities. Okay. 
Have you ever heard this expression? A prosecuting attorney gets on television and says, we're going to throw him in the slammer and throw away the key. Where is he going to throw away the key? Is he, going to, is he going to drive to the top of the parking structure and throw it off into a river? Is he going to throw it into a wastebasket? Is he going to take it home and throw it into the woods behind his house? Where is he going to throw the key? There's no key involved. He's not going to throw away the key. That's a figurative expression. The guy's going to be locked up for a long time. When he's thrown into a bottomless pit, the devil's going to be bound for a long time. Yes, I'm angry. Not at anyone in here. I am angry at that trash that goes down for Bible study that's outside these walls. It's ridiculous and it's absurd. We use language just like this in our own speech. I saw an angel come down from heaven. Revelation chapter 20 is an overlay of the time period between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming of Jesus Christ that shows us the spiritual conflict as it relates to the gospel. This is a gospel millennium chapter. The book of Revelation is a series of overlays. If I take you to Revelation chapter 12, we are going to have an overlay of the conflict between the devil and the church from another vantage point. Chapter 12. If I go to chapter 17, I'm going to have a different view of a church being involved against us as our enemy. And that's the church of Rome. It's overlays covering the same period of time. It's just a series of them. Chapter 20 stands alone and covers the whole time between the first coming of Jesus Christ and the second coming. How do I know that? Because I know when Jesus, when Satan was bound. I know that because I can read the Gospels and the Epistles. And I know when he's going to be destroyed and cast into the lake of fire and all the wicked are going to be burned up with him and the final judgment occurs at the second coming. Therefore, I know that chapter 20 is the period of time between those two. And because it uses the word thousand, all I have to do is know that it's symbolic without going anywhere. How busy are you today? One of you says to somebody else on the phone, Oh, i got a thousand things to do. You know, if you were to give them two hours to sit down and write down all they have to do, most of them wouldn't even be able to hit 20. But you'd say, i got a thousand things to do. Adolf Hitler thought the Third Reich was going to last a thousand years. It's a figurative expression for a long time. Lord, have mercy upon us. This is an overlay of the spiritual conflict of the devil and the gospel going out into all the world. They're being martyrs to it. And the first resurrection, which is regeneration, that's the first time you were resurrected. And you're going to get resurrected again shortly. And if you were resurrected the first time, the second death can't touch you. This is a spiritual chapter. And it's the gospel millennium that's taught here. This chapter is actually a proof text for exactly what we've been teaching for the last six sermons. How do we know that? Because it tells us that it began when Satan was bound and it ends when Satan is destroyed. We know that is the first coming and the second coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. Revelation 20 and verse 1. If we, would, if we went back to Revelation chapter 12, and I'm not going to take the time, if we went back there, we would find that when the man-child went up into heaven and sat down, then Satan was cast out of heaven. I want to tell you something about heaven. Heaven's big but it's not big enough for Jesus Christ and the devil. Do you understand that? When Jesus Christ came up victorious over death, having conquered the power of death, 
having defeated the devil at the cross, when he came up into the presence of God, Satan was cast down to the earth. And Revelation chapter 12, we've been there before. So I'm not going there again. I'm just summarizing it for you. The devil comes down to earth angry, knowing that he only has a short time. And so he persecutes the woman that brought forth the man-child. And what is that woman? The church of the Lord Jesus Christ. The believers. The bride of Christ. That woman. He persecutes her for 1,260 years. And the Lord provides her great wings of an eagle and a place in the wilderness where He feeds her and keeps her alive. And we've been kept alive to this day, brethren. Even though there have been great efforts to exterminate the Word of God from the earth. Revelation chapter 20, we could go find out more about that by going back to chapter 12. But we're in chapter 20. Verse 2, that angel laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Bound him a thousand years. Come over to Matthew chapter 12. It's the last reference we'll look at before we take a break. Matthew chapter 12. Verse 22 is the beginning of the passage we want. Matthew 12, 22. When was Satan bound? Unbelievable. We, one of the rules of Bible study is to compare Scripture with Scripture. 1 Corinthians 2.13 tells us that's one of the rules of Bible study. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So let's compare spiritual things with spiritual. We have a binding in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 2. The devil's bound a thousand years. Let's find out when he was bound. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 22. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil. Here we've got a devil working for the devil. Then was brought unto him one possessed with a devil, blind and dumb. And he healed him. Insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw. Pretty thorough, wouldn't you say? And all the people were amazed and said, is not this the son of David? I wonder why they said that. Was he the son of David? Did he look like he had David's authority? Did it look like the Messiah's kingdom was there? They could understand it. The people could understand it. <clears throat> they were amazed because they'd never seen it before. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of the devils. And Jesus knew their thoughts. That's what a, that's what a seminary education will get you. There's a pretty big difference between 23 and 24. All the guys in 24 went to seminary. All the guys in 23 went to trade school. Big difference. The guys in 23 knew who Jesus Christ was. They could see that. The guys in 24 couldn't. Because they were blinded by their Jewish superstition training of the Talmud they'd picked up in Babylon. So that they missed everything because God had blinded their eyes, closed up their ears, and hardened their hearts against the gospel. Amen. Verse 25, Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, he is divided against himself. How shall then his kingdom stand? And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your children cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is come unto you. And that is what I have been preaching. The kingdom of God was present under the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ while He was here on earth. The kingdom of God 
is come unto you. Keep reading. This 29th verse is the most important. Or else. Here's another way I want to describe it to you. How can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his house. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. And he condemned them all with that last verse. But I want verse 29 that says, Jesus Christ said, I would not be able to do what I am doing unless I am a stronger man than the devil, and I have bound the devil to be able to deliver his goods. Matthew chapter 12 explains Revelation chapter 20 because we compare spiritual with spiritual. When was the devil bound? Prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When was he bound? When Jesus Christ was here, he bound him from holding all men captive. Jesus began freeing them. And then the apostles began freeing them. And that's one of 50 references you can use to see the great change that took place with the first coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the commissioning of His apostles to go and deliver men from the power of darkness and the power of Satan. That is the beginning of the thousand years with Jesus Christ arriving on earth and delivering men from the power of the devil. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word and we'll continue it after a break.